Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, we're going to jump into the word. We're going to, you know, it's on uh, Tuesday, on Tuesday in your, in your Bibles, you're going to be reading the whole book of the Song of Solomon on Tuesday. So that's where our reading is. And I looked over all the things we were covering in the next little while and tried to figure out what to preach on today. And I said, well, I'm going to tackle Song of Songs, okay? Going to do our best. So there's eight chapters. I'm not going to be able to cover all of it. But uh, we'll give it a good start, and we'll talk about the climax, the conclusion, and it'll be real good. All right, so Song of Songs 1 verse 1 says, This is Solomon's Song of Songs. It is more wonderful than any other song. This is the best song ever written. This is a beautiful piece of art, a beautiful piece of poetry, very difficult to interpret. Many wish it wasn't in the Bible, but, uh, you know, it's beautiful. How many know God knows a lot about everything? How many knows God created everything? So God knows a whole lot about love and a whole lot about love making. And he wrote a book about it. And it's all good stuff. This sermon will not go anywhere that the Bible doesn't go. It will be rated G, so it's okay. So if you have any children and you start getting concerned, like, oh my goodness, it's going to be okay. We will say things like breasts and uh, like that, but it's, it's all going to be in a good context, and everybody's going to be okay. All right. That was easy. Okay, so... First Kings 4.32, Solomon composed 3,000 proverbs and 1,005 songs. And Solomon said, this one was my very best. This one was the best that I ever wrote. It's so, so good. So we got to take some time to figure it out. So this is a story about an intense expression of two people's love in a good and a proper context and how love is done right. And it's a beautiful, beautiful book. It really, really is. So anybody, you guys write any poetry? Anybody? Gord, you, did you write love songs to Pat? Pat, did he send you a love? So he writes poetry, but it's not love poetry. Okay. All right. That's awesome. Who actually has written like a love song to somebody you loved, you cared about? Love? Dan, you've written like love stories to Nicole? Can you give me a verse at all? Something that's really cool? It was about 10. You haven't written anything since then? Dan. Man. Come on, everybody say, oh. Yeah, tell you. That's harsh. Well, I'm sorry. I'm kind of in your camp. So uh, uh, I don't know. I don't, nowadays, do you write love stories anymore? Or do you, or do you just send an emoji with send an emoji with two hearts for eyes? You know, Woo! <laughs> that's a, that's poetry today. You know, I love you. <laughs> awesome. Got to get some more emojis. But uh, uh, I wrote some poetry. I lived in Peterborough, moved to Toronto. In Toronto, I, I used to go back and forth to Peterborough every weekend to hang out with friends and stuff there. And I finally decided I need to live in Toronto. I got to stop this. Got to get plugged into a church, settle down. And so I'm settling down. I'm getting in the rhythm of my Toronto life. And all of a sudden, this girl named Cheryl Teven sends me a letter. I get a letter from this girl. It's like, hey, what's up? Just thought I'd see what's going on. I haven't seen you around for a bit. You know, God's good. Jesus is wonderful. You know, how about the Blue Jays? Blah, blah, blah. You know, hey, you know, there you go. Well, there you are. I was really confused, right? What's that all about? So mm, I wait a little bit. I get another letter. Hey, just saying hi. Da, da, da. I'm like, woo. So then I, I sent a letter. I sent a letter. Hey, Jesus is good. Uh, Isaiah, been reading that lately. So good. And uh, blah, blah, blah. But then I kind of got my mind, I, I think this might be a signal. <laughs> she might be saying she'd like to see me around again. I don't know. <laughs> so I started trekking back to Peterborough on weekends, and, and one of those weekends, uh, I was going to get a donut and a coffee to head back to Toronto. It was late. And I said, better get me a coffee. And Cheryl came up behind me at the donut shelf and said, hey. We should give it a try. 
And I was like, yeah. I think she actually said we should give it a go. I was like. And I looked at the donuts. I said, the maple dip or chocolate, you know. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure. I, I'm, a, I'm a slow, slow on the pickup, you know. Really slow. Cheryl said, if I had to wait for you to ask me out, we'd probably still be dating. But, uh, you know, so, uh, wow, it was great. But it was like lightning. I mean, I got hit so bad. I can actually, I actually feel it again, just stepping back into it. I was smitten by her love. It just so completely changed and transformed my life. Everything I did changed. Everything shifted. And uh, I wrote some poetry. And I just remember one line. It was, you are to me like my missing rib. Thank you, Glenn. I knew I could trust on you. It wasn't funny. That was sincere. I mean, I, I took the time to sit there and go like, you are my missing. Just to uh, make things Hey, hey, it's a monologue. <laughs> I actually sent him a letter, and I still have it in that chest that my grandfather made, and I put... At the beginning, this seems a little bit corny, and it had corn taped into the, picked, into the letter. And I gave him a key, I don't know what to, and it says, you've, you've got the key to my heart. And I still got it, but I don't know what happened to your letter. Do you know why you still have the letter you sent to me? Because you sent it to me, and it still exists. The letter I sent to you, you were the steward of. If it's missing, it's because something is soured in your... <laughs> Anyways... Just saying, like, wow, thanks. You know, thanks for that. I was trying to pat myself on the back, but my arms are too short. I couldn't, couldn't even reach. You know, like, I'm the missing link between that and the Tyrannosaurus Rex. You know, but, my God. Stop it. Okay. So. Elizabeth. Barrett Browning, she wrote an amazing, amazing poem. You, you all remember, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and the breadth and the height. My soul can reach and when feeling out of sight for the ends of being the ideal grace. Wow, and then there's more and more and more. And then uh, uh, that was sonnet, I think that was sonnet number 43. But let me read you sonnet number one. This was from her, I think it was uh, called the Portuguese sonnets. But uh, sonnet number one. She said, the sad years, the melancholy years, who by turns had flung shadow across me straightway, I was where how the mystic shape did move behind me and drew me backward by the hair and a voice said in mastery while I strove, guess now who holds thee? Death, I said, but there the silver answer rang, not death, but love. What a great poem, eh? You know, she was a genius as a child, brilliant, brilliant, just an incredible child. She lost a brother, tragically lost a brother. It broke her heart. She fell off a horse and was more or less crippled. She spent five years in her room, wouldn't leave her room, and she wrote poetry, and the poetry went all around the world. And a fellow named Robert Browning saw her poetry, and he loved it. And Robert Browning sent her 574 letters. And he constantly said, you are lovely, you are beautiful, you are remarkable. Said, you are brilliant, you are genius. And with his words, she was baptized with his words. And his words overcame the darkness in her own soul and caused her to come out of that room and become his bride. And she moved on in life and had children and wrote so much more. But this poem, that was sonnet number one, because she says this, person's love totally transformed my life. So it's powerful stuff. You feel it, don't you? You can feel what she's saying. You feel the power of it, but it's interesting the words that she used. Love songs. Love songs. You know, here's a, a quote by Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa said, I have found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more love. That was Mother Teresa. I thought it was powerful, powerful stuff. Then one of my favorites is a, a great a poet named Rocky Balboa. Adrian, I got gaps, you got gaps, we'll fill each other's gaps. 
wasn't really good. I do that interpretation better some days, which is such rubbish. You know, because if you are connecting with somebody who's got gaps and you got gaps, you got two people with gaps, which means your whole relationship's going to be full of gaps. It's going to be gaps multiplied by two. It's going to be really messy, you know? So people go, you complete me. No, no, don't try to find somebody to complete you. You know, man, I mean, whole people have to engage whole people. And then you can have a beautiful multiplication of wholeness, of blessing. And, uh, and your wholeness doesn't come from another person. Don't get into a relationship thinking, I'll fix you. Can't wait until we're married, I'll fix him. No, no, no. Can't wait until we're married, she'll change. No, don't do that. Because <laughs> there is, you know, my wife thought, man, he's awesome. She said, you know, things won't change. And sure enough, I put on 25 pounds the first year. Things change. <laughs> said I married this handsome young man and now I have an armchair that burps. You know what I'm saying? If you get into it expecting the other person will somehow meet some needs in your life, you're going to be disappointed. You're not in a relationship to get your needs met. You're in a relationship to meet other people's needs, to bless other people, to serve other people. All the demands you put on that other person are totally wrong. It's like speaking curses over another individual. Stop it. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's all you got. Your only debt is to love, 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 and love is such a beautiful, transforming thing. Look, let me read Mother Teresa again. I found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more love. Amen. So Solomon, the word Solomon is peace. The word Shulamite is peace. Both those mean peace. Solomon is the masculine form of peace. The Shulamite is the feminine form of peace. Both come from the same Hebrew word, Shalom, which is peace. But it means this. It means to be in a covenant of peace, be at peace, to be completed and to be finished. So they're both at peace, both finished, both complete, and they came together to, to complete this beautiful journey of who they are, and they become one union and one beautiful expression of the fullness of of God. Luke eleven thirty one. the Queen of Sheba will stand against this generation in judgment day. This is Jesus saying this. The Queen of Sheba is going to stand in judgment to this generation and condemn it. For she came from a distance to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now I'm standing here. You guys won't listen to me. They all came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. One greater than Solomon is standing in front of you, but you refuse to listen. Jesus is saying a type of Christ, Solomon, was a type of me, and he is a type of Christ. And in this story, Solomon is a type of Christ. 2 Corinthians eleven twelve. for I'm jealous for you. I'm jealous with the jealousy of God himself. Paul is saying to the church, there's a jealousy in me that's not my own. The jealousy that I'm manifesting is the very jealousy of God himself. The passion, the love, the jealousy of God is exploding inside of me for you to see you complete, to see you understand the full revelation of who you are, to see that you are that pure bride that I want to present to one husband, to Christ. And so we see Jesus, that Solomon, we see that this whole story then, and from origin all the way through, most of the early church fathers right away saw that this story, this song was all about Jesus and the church. And so that's how we're going to look at it and apply much of it today. Now, interpreting poetry can be difficult, but we're going to give it our best go. How many love interpreting poetry? I loved it when I was a kid, looking for imagery and homonyms and synonyms and all these things and what does it mean. And, you know, God wants us to, to look below the surface and see what he's saying even in the song of Solomon. Amen. Colossians 2.10, so you are complete through your union with Christ. We are in absolute union with Christ. When you become a believer, you are born again. You're a new creation and you are made one spirit. He shall leave his mother and his father and he shall cling to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And we are one flesh with Jesus. We are one spirit with him. And this song is all about that dance, that glorious, beautiful song about how Jesus took a bride and they became one together. Beautiful things, lovely things you can talk about and you can apply them clearly to relationship and so much wisdom in them. But I'm going to apply just a few things today. Can I get amen? Revelation 21, 2, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. In the last days, what's going to happen? There's going to come out of heaven, the new Jerusalem, and then we're all going to join together with him on earth in the new Jerusalem, and he's going to reign forever and ever in the new Jerusalem. You're not going to float on a cloud someplace. 
you know? And what is this? What's he talking about? He says, this is, this holy city is coming down from him like a bride, beautifully dressed for husband. So this analogy of Christ and the church, this analogy of Jesus and the bride of Christ, the analogy of Jesus and the church is clearly supported everywhere in scripture. So let's look at how the story begins, all right? The story begins here. It's not where the whole story begins, but the start of the song. It's kiss me and kiss me again. Amen. Kiss me and kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine. Your love is intoxicating, sweet intoxicating. Your wine is impacting. It's powerful, and it's sweeter than wine. How pleasing is your fragrance. Your name is like the spreading fragrance of scented oils. No wonder all the women love you. The king has brought me into his bedroom. Young women of Jerusalem, this is them. This is their title. They say, how happy are you, O king? We praise you. Your love is ever more than wine. Now, she's speaking right here, not of the beginning of the relationship, but she's speaking from a place of here's where I am right now. Here's where the relationship is today. Kiss me and kiss me again. Take me into your room. Come on. Yeah, I'm nuts about you. You are beautiful. Your love is sweeter than wine. And then all the other people chime in and say, he's awesome. I mean, when he walks in the room, everything changes. His fragrance fills the place. He's awesome. And when Jesus walks in the room, everything shifts. And when Jesus comes in the room, the fragrance comes. When he comes in the room, there's an expression of how beautiful and how lovely he is. Ooh, thought everybody went to sleep on me there. So we then go, the king has brought me into his bedroom. Young women of Jerusalem, how happy you are. So the relationship actually begins at the end of the song. Go to chapter 8. If you look at chapter 8, verses 8 to 14, she says, I was a virgin like a wall. You know what that means. She said, I was a virgin like a wall. I was just a young girl. I was like a wall. Says, they forced me. It says, but now my breasts are like towers. Let me read that again. I was a virgin like a wall, but now my breasts are like towers. So something shifted. She grew up. Okay. Something shifted. All right. When my lover looks at me, he is delighted with what he sees. Solomon has a vineyard in Baal Haman, and he leases it out to tenant farmers. So what you see here is that their relationship began way back there where her family worked some fields that Solomon owned and Solomon would come by from time to time and when she was younger, she would look at him and she would see him and go, he's really, really awesome. But when I first, when he first caught my eyes, I was, I was just a virgin. I was just a young girl. But then there was the day where I matured and I caught his eye and he caught mine. He saw me. He came to visit the fields. He came to spend time to overlook the fields. And he went, oh, you've grown up. And there was an eye-catching experience. All right, let's go back to chapter one. So that's where the whole thing started. Very interesting stuff there about the brothers and the family and how they cared for and what they did. Some really great principles. Just don't have time to get into them. I'm really thinking somewhere maybe next year when we're finished reading all the way through the Bible, we might come back and spend like about eight weeks in the Song of Solomon because it's good, good stuff. Good, good stuff. But let's go back to chapter one. Chapter one, verses one to five, she says, don't stare at me because I'm dark. Don't stare at me. The sun is dark in my skin. Don't stare at me. My brothers were angry with me. They forced me to care for their vineyards. And because I was so busy doing what they wanted and, and running around, I had no time to care for myself or my own vineyard. So what she's saying is he comes and he's checking out the fields and she's there working alongside her brothers and he stares at her. He's captivated by her. But she's saying, don't stare at me. And see, there's a lot of people, when God comes and his grace and his love comes and a beautiful expression of himself, a lot of people are like, I'm dark. I'm broken. I've messed up. I, I, I know what I'm doing. And I, I'm confused. My brothers, you know, the, the people, the, the people I'm involved with even in ministry, pastors and leaders and things like that, they haven't helped me at all because they just keep me busy with their little ministry stuff and they never help me with the fact that I feel shame, I feel broken, and I feel hurt. And they don't help me with that. And because of that, I've never really cared for my own vineyard. I've never really cared for who I am. And there's a sense of brokenness where she's saying, don't look at me, and she feels shame, and she feels difficulty, and she feels like I'm never going to be adequate to have a relationship with you. You are so completely out of my league. You got me? All right. 
All right, so she has a fallen understanding, and a lot of the world today has a fallen understanding of God. And sadly, the church, the brothers, they haven't helped. You know, God is incredibly good. He's incredibly wonderful. He only has good plans, good thoughts, good hopes for every single person. And yet we keep preaching sin management and behavior modification. And if you want to come to God, you got to do, 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 do. And the church hasn't helped people encounter when he walks in the room, everything shifts and everything moves and he's nuts about you and he's never had a bad thought about you. Amen, that's true. Let's look at the next part. It goes on, verse 7 and 8. It says, tell me, my love. Here's where she goes. She steps into, tell me, my love. I mean, something happened because she said, I am dark. And then it said, but you are lovely. And you see, some translators put it in her voice, but other translators say, she says, I'm dark. He says, you're lovely. You say, I'm dark. He says, but you're lovely. I'm broken. I got, I'm messed up. I mean, I've, I've screwed up a lot. But you're lovely. And I think it's in the voice it's not a conflicted individual. It's in the voice of that beautiful beloved who's saying, you're lovely. I'm really not. Yes, you are. I'm really not. Yes, you are. I'm really not. Yes, you are. And he'll never stop saying, yes, you are. He'll never stop saying, you're lovely, no matter what. But she is now, something arises in her, and there's a sense of, my goodness. She suddenly breaks off of that staring at her own brokenness, and she lifts her eyes away, and she sees him, and she's able to muster, tell me, my love, where you are. Tell me, where are you leading your flock today? Where will you rest your sheep at noon? And if you don't know, oh, most beautiful woman, this is him now. He says, if you don't know, most beautiful woman, follow the trail of my flock and graze your young goats by the shepherd's dance. Now, this is so cool because this should be the answer. If you don't know how to come into a relationship with him, follow my people. Follow the flock because they know how to encounter me. They know where I am. Follow the flock. Follow the people of God because they'll bring you into a place of encountering him. But sadly, the flock has not often led to Jesus. They've led to works and religion and deeds and, and structures and forms of godliness that deny the power thereof. It should be that, you know, you should be able to come and start to graze. You should be able to come into a place where God's presence is and you can feel the beautiful one walk in the room and be impacted by who he is. Amen. That's true. That's true. So here's that attraction. She decides, I'm going to go out. I'm going to pursue him. Next thing, third thing here we observe in 9 to 11, it says, you are exciting, my darling. And the word darling means you are exciting, my lover, my friend. Darling means friend and lover. That's, I'll tell you, that's one thing that I'm so excited about in my life is my wife is my lover, but she is my friend. And she's such a great friend to me. And I, I love spending this last vacation. We went, just us, just hanging out. And I said, I am so incredibly enjoying our time together. And I was overwhelmed with how blessed I am to have such an incredible relationship that we share together. She's my lover and she's my friend. And here he said, my darling. He said, my darling. He says, you are exciting, my darling. Let's turn to somebody near you and say, you're exciting. You are exciting. Now, now, now say to them, you're exciting. You're as exciting as a mare. <laughs> you're ex exciting as a mare among Pharaoh stallions. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Well, that's meaningful right there. I'll tell you why it's meaningful. You go study the battle for Kadesh. The battle for Kadesh, uh, the Egyptian armies with Pharaoh had come, and he had, he had chariots with stallions that were remarkable. Egyptian horses were something else. But they're all stallions, all stallions who led their chariots. And their chariots had defeated the army, and then they came, and the chariots were there in front of Kadesh, in front of the city. And they're going to take the city now. The people are overwhelmed looking at these chariots. But this one guy in the city says, I got a mare in heat true story go check it out he took the mayor and they sent the mayor through the city gate and that mayor ran back and forth in front of all these chariots and all those chariots went, and they all started running into each other banging each other and i'll tell you the whole thing would have been a total mess but one of the guys jumped out of his chariot and went and killed the mayor and then it was over but when he says you're as exciting as a mayor in front of the egyptian stallions say you literally drive me nuts I mean, I just go out of my mind when you're around. You're incredible. You are exciting, my love. <sighs> I thought there'd be a lot more excitement there, but... Not excited. Okay. You got to understand that this is the Almighty. This is a prophetic picture of how he feels about you. 
Not because you've done a single thing. Not because you've served him or done a rip. He is excited about you. Stirred up about you in a passionate way. All right, that's good. I tell you, some of us guys are like, whatever. <laughs> Next thing, we jump into verses 12 to 14. This is interesting stuff. It says, suddenly she's, his words transform her. His words are transforming and powerful. Just like, just like Elizabeth Barrett Browning was transformed from a dark room, five years of being an invalid, love baptized her and brought her out into the open. This is the love of God. It's the love of God Almighty, the intense, passionate love of God that is transforming. She gets a revelation then of his value, and she says something powerful. She says, you are a sack of myrrh lying between my breasts. Hmm. Sacket means something that's been tied up and myrrh is suffering. So you got tied up suffering that I'm going to bring close to my heart. What is she saying? The revelation of the finished work of the cross, the revelation that you have given everything for me, the revelation that you have eliminated everything that stands between us and that I have a relationship with you because of this one act that you did on my behalf. I'm going to keep that very close to my heart. That's going to be what I see everything through that you gave so much for me that I am worth it. And what am I going to do with that? I'm going to bring it close to my heart and I'll forever let it be the filter through which I see you. Just say, I knew that. I knew that. I knew that. Now, this is good too because it says, He is like a bouquet of sweet henna, which is, henna is the word kofur. Say homonym. How many know what a homonym is? The wall is red. I read the book. It's a word that is the same. It sounds the same, but it can mean different things. Henna, kofur. Henna is also translated as ransom. It's also translated as pitch. Remember that word kofur? Kofur is the word that was used when the, uh, they built the ark. They put kofur around the ark, covered it with kofur on the inside and out. Now, kofir was what Job said, he is a ransom for me, he is kofir. That word means the atonement. The word means the atonement. The atonement covered the ark inside and out. The atonement is what separated Job from everything and brought him into a relationship with God. The atonement, being at one with God because he did it. You can go back to our teaching in Leviticus about the atonement. But what she's saying is the atonement is a sweet blossom from the vineyards of Engedi. What does Engedi mean? The fountain of the lamb. The fountain of the lamb. So listen to this. I keep close to my breast the revelation of the finished work of the cross. I have a bouquet of the atonement that is mine because I am washed in the fountain of the lamb. Yum. That's a good place to say, yum, yum. How many want to just like, I just, I just came for a sin management sermon. I just came for a sermon that could tell me how to be a better person. Are you kidding me? If this doesn't make you want to be a better person, you're dead from the neck up. That was not nice. If my wife was here, she'd be looking at me with eyes that would kill. You know what makes me eliminate falsehood and you know, just anything that's not of God in my life is the knowledge of how much he loves me. See, the thing about God is you think you need a lecture and you turn to him and he kisses you. I really screwed up. I need a good lecture. I'm going to come to God and he's like, I had a bad week. Stop it, honestly. I've had a bad the prodigal, he just spent his father's whole inheritance, come home smelling like a pig. I've had a really bad time, Dad. We think a lecture would be good right now. I'm going to kiss the rest of the sermon. Let's turn to... What you really need right now is a big, wet, sloppy kiss. Ah, uh, beat me with the word, Pastor. <laughs> That's the brothers keep you in the vineyard. You can't care for yourself because you're so messed up. 
I have a hard time even hearing this because I'm so unaware of how much he loves me. Okay, that was good. Thank you, Pastor. Redeemed understanding. Chapter two, she goes in and she doesn't say, you're the rose of Sharon. She says, I am the rose of Sharon. Like so often we said, he's the rose of Sharon. That's not what it says. It says, you're the rose of Sharon. You know, she went from, I'm, a, I'm in a dark room, I'm like a dark curtain, oh, don't even look at me, to, I am the Rose of Sharon. I am the Rose of Sharon. And the lily of the valleys, the beloved, like a lily among thorns, so is my love among daughters. Now it changed, the beloved. It changed from her voice to the beloved's voice. She says, I am a Rose of Sharon. He says, oh, and you are a lily among the thorns. You are a blossom. You are a manifestation of resurrection life right there. You're a manifestation of life and of power. Everywhere the curse is, I'm placing you to manifest in the midst of the curse that I am bringing life. The whole body of Christ needs to come to the revelation that I am a rose so we can understand that we are a manifestation of the goodness of God in a broken and dying world. And all of that comes about because we just learn enough theology. All of that comes about because we just got kissed enough. I've told you this story before, but I, I got out of jail one day. Shocking. But I successfully was in jail. It's just overnight. Get over it. And I was there basically because I just refused to sign the paperwork, so they threw me in jail. But anyway, my brother came to pick me up the next day. They said they weren't ready, sent him home. And then they let me out, and I'm standing on the steps, and my brother's gone. So it's like 6 o'clock in the morning. The sun was just coming up. And here I am. I'm walking into a sunrise. It should be a cowboy into a sunset, but it's me into a sunrise. And I was just sitting there going, what am I doing with my life? How did I get here? I mean, I'm doing an engineering degree. I, I got everything going on. I mean, I was given direct entry into the second year. I just, and now look at me. What are you doing with your life? You're such an idiot. And I walked all the way to my brother's home. When I got there, both my brother's cars were there. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, here we go. I'm going to have to put up with them now. I gotta, you know what? I'm too tired. I'm going to walk in. Whatever. Let's dance. Bang, bang. Let's throw each other around the kitchen. Just let me go to bed. So I walked in saying, let's tango. Come on. Because I thought, that's the way we did it. You know, when they were fed up with me, boom, boom, boom. You know what you're doing to your mother? Your mother's freaking out. she got high blood pressure. And I figured we're going to go do the same old dance. So here we go. Let's just get it over with. And two of them came over, grabbed me, hugged me, and started to cry. And I was like, I'd rather be kicked right now. But I literally, right at that moment, felt something come out of me and like a disembodied spirit on the other side of the room say, what happened? And something was completely broken off my life because of love. Because of kisses and because of affection. And you know, here's the thing. There's so many people when they come to God, they think they need a lecture. They think they need, you know, you know a beating or this or that. And you know what? When you come to God, you know what you should expect? A big sloppy kiss. All right. The beat you up church is down the road. I'll hand out their cards later. All things redeemed. I understood who I am. Next thing, I got to move on. Amen? Amen. I got to move on. Uh, next thing is he commits himself to her. He escorts me. He brings me into his house of wine. It's obvious. Banquet hall is not even in the scripture anywhere. None of it's there. It's really he brought me to the wine cellar. He brought me to the house of wine. He brought me to that sweet intoxicating place with him. He brought me to the house of wine. It's obvious how much he loves me. He gives his promise to me. And then he says to the daughter, says, man, I'm really whacked out with this guy. Promise me that we do not awaken love before it's time. And here it's giving good parameters that, that love has its boundaries, has its limitations. And she's saying, this is just the engagement party. And I'm telling you, I'm pretty whacked out on him right now. But help me, girls. Help me. Let's not awaken love before it's time. So we're here at the engagement. We're here at that whole process. And so here's where we are. She gets that absolute total commitment from him. So we got this whole union manifest in the Song of Solomon. So we go on from the courtship to the engagement to the wedding to several chapters about the wedding night. Mm-mm. Not going to get into that today. Then we get into an argument. We get into a fight. And we see even Revelation, how to fight well, how to, how, to, how to come together. And then the last chapter, we enter into the real, true, genuine climax of the power of love. So I'm going to wrap it up with those two verses. Are you ready? Are you ready? 
All right, I need you to pay attention. I'm just about to preach. All right. Song of Solomon 8, 6, and 7. Listen. Place me, place me, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. Don't place a sticker on you. Don't place a sticker on me. Take me and place me as a seal over your heart, as a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. Its jealousy is enduring as the grave. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown it. If a man tried to pay or buy love with all his wealth, offer all that he had, the offer would utterly be scorned. Now, he uses a lot of negative imagery to contrast and compare love, but it's powerful. And this is a powerful, powerful piece of prose about love. Number one, number one, love is dedicated. Look what it says. It doesn't say place a seal. It doesn't say put something over. It doesn't say put a sticker on, I belong to God or you belong to me. She says, take me, Father, take me. Jesus, I want you to Put me over your heart. I want me to be a seal over your heart. The word seal means to lock down or to imprison. So I want your heart to be imprisoned by me. I want your heart to be locked down by me. I want you to be so consumed with me that every fantasy, every dream, every thought, every vision you have, it's about me. I want to be in your inward world. I want to own it. This isn't Jesus saying that you need to put me over your heart. This is the bride saying, put me over your heart. This is the kind of confidence that love has. This is the kind of confidence that when you have a revelation of God, you talk to him and you say, put me. I own your inner world. Put me as a cell that locks down your whole inner world. Wow, how demanding is that? And yet that's what the Lord is trying to share with us. You should have this kind of confidence with me. Hebrew writers didn't want to put Solomon, Song of Solomon in the canon. You know why? And you can read it. You go look at it for yourself. Google, fact check me if you want. Their problem with this book was he does too much to elevate the woman. He takes the woman and he puts her eye to eye with himself. She's no longer a subordinate. He's lifted her up and he's exalted her to a place where she's eye to eye with him and we can't accept this. This book is just wrong. It blows up our culture. It's way too radical for us. How could it be? But she's willing to say, put me as a seal over your heart. My beloved is mine and I am his. And you see, any relationship that's going to be worth anything doesn't have subordination. It has co-equal, co-essential purpose, power, two people moving together in strength. And that's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible teaches. It's what the Bible teaches. Place me as a seal over your heart. You manifest that I possess you privately. I possess you publicly. You belong to me. And that brings me confidence. And I want that not just to be in the private world of you, but I want everywhere you to go, you lift me up and you demonstrate that I am the most important thing to you. Whoa. See, religion says you got to make sure that you're all out for God. Well, you know what makes you all out for God? Knowing that he's all out for you. Hey, hey, wowzers. I'd like to camp around this book for a while. Well, that's what it means. That's what it means. I got to move on. Invincible, for your love is as strong as death. I mean, death comes without asking. It takes things, it ends things without discrimination. Doesn't matter who you are. Death comes to everybody and everything. It's given to every man once to die and then the judgment. And every single person understands. You say death. Everybody gets that. And that's why I use that, because death is final. It's like stuff ends, dream ends, stuff ends. You know, relationships, what you have, boom, death comes in. It doesn't ask if it can come, it just comes. And it's strong, and it's final, and it's powerful. But he said all that because he wanted to say, love is stronger. Death might bring an end, but love brings life. Love resurrects things. Love calls things forth. Love is a powerful force that cannot be limited and cannot be hindered. Oh, my goodness. I tell you, that's good. It's invincible. Look at this. Now, look, it's persevering. 
It's jealousy is as enduring as the grave. Jealously enduring grave. I mean, the grave is jealous. It hangs on. It never lets go. It just hangs on. And he's saying, you know, you've been there. You've seen that. You go back, you visit, still locked down. It's jealous. It's passion holds on. It clings to that thing. It'll never, ever get out of there. So he's using that kind of imagery. But then he says, but love is more powerful than the grave. If you think something can lock you down and keep you down, love will lock you down. What does that mean? You can't do anything about it. No matter what you do, you think you might have screwed up and gone too far in love. I must have gone too far. You cannot go too far because love goes further. Whatever you may have think or thought you did, love goes way beyond what you ever may have considered. And love surpasses that, surpasses that, surpasses that, surpasses that. Love is jealous. And it's more passionate than the grave. And love will lock you down. You can't fight your way out. Because love has you locked in the grip of a loving Savior. Man. A little scrawny wafer and a bit of juice. I want to feast with him right now. I want to eat big chunks of the bread of life. I want to drink deeply of the cup of blessing. Oh, I want more than one cup today. Man. Let us open the lid. You know, the early church, they said, what's about their love feasts? That's what their services were called, love feasts. And we do communion with these little things. We got to get big loaves of bread. Just hang out forever. Just breaking bread. Have a piece. <laughs> affection. Incredible displays of affection. Freaks people out. Freaks people out. The girls come to me and say, I'm looking for a husband. I go, don't marry one who doesn't worship passionately. Don't marry one who doesn't have a passion for God. If you're thinking about a guy, you look at him when he's in church. If he's kind of like this when worship's going on. <sighs> Pass. You want the guy who's like. <laughs> Unashamedly just, yes, I'm dancing on the king's dance floor. Woo! Not him. Oh. We need some men to be real men. You know what I mean? Anyways, that was a sidetrack. Got into that, but it was good advice for somebody. All right. Where was I? Oh, good. Persevering. Let's go to transforming. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of fire, the blightest flame. Literally, it's the, it's, that word is the flame of Yah. It's the fire of God. Some people think the fire of God is judgment. The fire of God, more often than not in the Bible, is his love. His love is like thunder, lightning. Oh, it's exciting. You better. Anyways, so I kid you not, when, when my wife asked me out, it was like lightning. That was the most amazing drive back to Toronto. I was just like, oh, my God. Transform, touch my life. How many ever fell in love? And you don't fall in love. I mean, because you don't fall. There's no fall. It's just whack. Boom. You know, he's trying to say that my love is like lightning. My love is like a sudden explosive fire that impacts your life and touches it forever. I know. I wish this book wasn't in the Bible sometimes myself, but it is. So get over it. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. A flash of lightning. I mean, out west right now, they say we could use rain, but not thunderstorms, because those flashes of lightning, fire. See, in that fire, a 300-year-old oak tree can stand so strong. It'd be hard to ever move that thing or do anything to it, but one shot of lightning, that thing is split in two. Say, the love of God, when I understood how much he loved me, it delivered me from everything that would hold me back. And totally set me free. Transforming. I mean, one kiss, one kiss from the Lord can change your whole life. Go kiss someone you're allowed to kiss. Just careful now. Thank you, Jesus. We were smooching. I was smooching my wife in church today. 
conquering. It says many waters cannot quench love, rivers can't drown it. That stands for trouble. No matter, I mean, no matter what kind of trouble anything comes your way, his when trouble comes, love is unleashed at its very, very best. When difficulties come in your in your world, look for the kiss of God. Look for his kiss. Look for his presence in that situation. Because you know what? When trouble comes right there, love, his love, there's no difficulty, no trial, nothing. If you start to have your love fade because of a circumstance, stop it. Turn and let him kiss you. Turn and just get into the word. Because the word of God is, if you say, let me know the kisses of your mouth, read the Bible. Because this is, when you start reading, you go, Lord, you have been my dwelling place through all generations. That's, if you look in, in Jewish history, the kisses of your mouth are the words of God. And you see, when, when you are getting into the word of God, you are, you are exchanging mouth to mouth with the Almighty. True story. True story. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. So it's like fire. It's like fire, big fire, the flame of Yah that comes and changes your life. Last thing, it's conquering. It's conquering. Many waters, many rivers cannot touch it, no matter what the troubles are difficult. Sorry, last thing is priceless. It's priceless. If a man tried to buy love with all his wealth, his offer would be utterly scorned. If he tried to buy love with all of his wealth, his offer would be utterly scorned. You see, love is valuable. Love is powerful, but love is free. It's not that love isn't powerful. It is powerful. It's not that it isn't costly and precious. It is. But it's way too priceless to be something that you could pay for or you could earn. Let me say this now. Money can't buy you love. The Beatles were kind of funny, but when they studied life and looked at things, they had a, oddly, there was a few times they shared some good theology. Money can buy you love, can buy you love, love can buy you love. That's all I'm saying. Listen, the moment you try to earn it, it's gone. The moment somebody tells you that you got to do this to get that, that just moved further away from you. I want to be careful with that because God never moves further away from you. He'll never move from you. So I'm not saying that God is gone, but God will never be reduced to works. No one is going to get stuff from God because they tried harder than somebody else. It's all free. And you see, religion tries to make you pay for it. If you would just do this and this and this and this, you'd get it. And you know, the more you try to do those things, he's still there, his love is still there, but your experience of it is void. He didn't go anywhere. He never will. But you've set yourself up on a treadmill of distance. There's a lot of well-meaning, charismatic Gnostics that try to put you on a treadmill of performance to get you close to him. And here's what he says to you. Go ahead, say it. Put me as a seal over your heart, as a seal on your arm. If you have a real revelation of the love of God, it doesn't put you into a works momentum. It puts you into a free place of absolute rest because it's all completely finished and love is priceless. All right, I think I got one more slide. John 15, 13, there's no greater love than this than that he would lay down his life for another. That's what we're going to celebrate right now is the table because you know what we do at the table? We remember that he did it all. And we remember that unworthy, lucky beggars get to belly up to this table without fear because he is a good God who loves us with an everlasting love. What qualifies you to come? The blood of Jesus. What qualifies you to come? I'm holding that bouquet of, of his myrrh close to my heart and I understand the blossom of henna that is in my hand and I understand that I have been washed in the fountain of the Lamb. That's why I come. And you should all come. You're all welcome. It's not my table. It's not Impact Church's table. It's the table of the Lord. And the Lord says, come. And if you've never come before, say this. I come because I believe Jesus. I believe the love that you've expressed. And I believe he loves me. And I want to participate today in the love of God. And to participate in the love of God today, it's so passionate. It's a little wafer that tastes like styrofoam.
That's why sometimes I go like, oh, this is so much bigger than this. And these are just emblems. But I play when you, when you participate in this little emblematic thing, would your experience be massive loaves? Would your experience be sweet, intoxicating wine? And would you take it way beyond some little symbolic little thing we do? And would you understand that you're encountering the Almighty in the depth of his love? And know that. When Jesus tasted of it, he said, they put the, the gall, they put the, the, the vinegar in his mouth. And when he had taken it in, he took the generational curses of all mankind. That's what it means. And when he took it, he said the word in Aramaic called kalah. And kalah is one of those homonyms. Kalah means two things. It means finished and bride. And what he was saying right there is, my bride, I did it all. I covered everything. My bride, come forth. Come. Come. Come forth, resurrection life. Come forth. It's a new day. Come forth, life. My bride, come forth. That's what he was thinking about on the cross. He was thinking about what he loved so deeply. He was thinking about you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Can we stand up for a second just before we sing? Listen, if you're here today and, wow, came to church, that was interesting. Never heard that before. It's the truth. He really, really loves you. He, he loves you. You know, the church, you got to love God. You know what's more transforming message? He loves me. That's a massive transform. And he loves you. He's always loved you. Even in your darkest place, he's been there and he loves you. And right now, he doesn't want to give you a lecture. He wants to draw you to himself. You know, if you've never accepted him as your Lord and your Savior, I want you to do that today. Listen. Everybody's heads are bowed and everybody's praying. But if you don't know him that way, you don't know him as your Lord and your Savior, I want to pray for you. And if that's you, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to one, two, three. And when I do, would you put up your hand really high so I can pray with you? You ready? One, two, three. Just put your hand up really high, way up high, way up high. Thank you. Anyone else? Just put your hand up high so I can see it. Anyone else? All right, we're all going to pray. And you're all invited to the table. You're in. You're in. You ready? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. I accept your forgiveness. I accept your love. I accept your healing. I accept that I am one with you right now. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So good. We're going to pass out the emblems. Why don't you keep standing? Because we're just going to sing. But whoever's helping me today, let's pass out these emblems now. And uh, we're just going to sing together. You know, let's keep it light, eh? Let's, let's keep it light. Not too aggressive. But uh, if you guys can pass that out. I just want you to see that he's bringing you into his cellar of wine. He's bringing you into the house of wine right now. And I want you just to focus on his love for you. Could you do that? Just focus on his love for you right now. He is jealous for me, loves like a hurricane, I am a tree, bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me and oh how he loves us so oh how he loves us how he loves us so and oh how he loves us so oh how he loves us how he loves us so
we are his portion and he is our prize drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes if grace is an ocean we're all sinking that's so good <laughs> good <laughs> so heaven means earth like a sloppy wet kiss and my heart turns violently inside of my chest i don't have time to maintain these regrets when i think about the way he loves us oh how he loves us oh how he loves us oh how he loves he It's so good. It's so good. Father, we, we do this. You know, this, this represents your body that was given for us. He gave it all. Like, we're, we're standing here observing not a, a religious event. We're participating in a loving encounter with the living God. And we're just remembering affectionately. In your body, you took all my sin. In your body, you took all my sickness. In your body, those lashes that are on your back forever, those wounds constantly speak. Those wounds are declaring through all eternity how much you love me. And I would be so, so wrong not to accept and embrace everything that's mine because of this table. I would be so wrong to spurn your love. I'd be so wrong to push away your love. I'd be so wrong to say, oh, it's okay. I can, I can put up with this sickness. It's okay. I can, I, I can still hang on to this brokenness. You did all of this so I can be absolutely whole. You love me so much. There's not a single way you haven't provided for me. And you want your provision to be embraced radically, radically embraced. Put me as a seal over your heart, a seal on your arm. I'm locked down. Come forth, bride. Come forth, new creation. Come forth. It's finished. So, Father, I thank you for healing today. We come to the table with revelation knowledge. We come to the table with understanding that all things have been made new. And so we eat and we celebrate in this house of wine. We celebrate your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, because of your body, I was set free, but it's your life. It's this covenant blood. It's this, this blood that represents the power to live a resurrected life, the power. The power to walk into every situation. It grants me access to every good thing. What do you got to say for yourself? Who do you think you are? The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. I am one with God. I understand the atonement. I am one with God, and I've been baptized in the fountain of the Lamb. And I thank you that I have power. I have liberty. I have freedom. I have authority. And we drink right now to power. We drink to life. We drink to absolute the power of redemption and the power that we have as your children here to manifest as a lily among the thorns. So, Father, we drink right now in a great, great celebration of your love for us a great celebration say yes lord celebrate celebrate right now say yes yes ah this is good stuff right here i got hit with lightning the love of god the lightnings of yah have impacted my life i love you i love you so father thank you for this cup of blessing we drink it now in jesus precious name amen Mm. Hallelujah. Ha. Ha. <laughs>
come up if you're on the altar team can you come and just get ready to minister to people and pray come on up and if you got any need or anything or need somebody to agree with you in prayer these folks are ready to pray for you today so bless you and thank you i want to bless you can i bless you father i love this house what an honor to have such beautiful personal friends what an incredible honor to function in this setting and serve such a beautiful group of people with passion in my heart, I bless them. With passion in my heart, Lord, I bless them. I pray for the overwhelming revelation of your great love to be theirs. Every bit of it. And I pray, Father, right now that you'd baptize them a revelation of the knowledge of the Father's great love. That he'd have a great understanding of the grace of our Lord Jesus. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that I release them into your partnership and your goodness to go in your power and authority and to manifest a lily among the thorns, to demonstrate freedom everywhere they go. So people will cry out, take me to your lover. Take me to your leader. Take me to the house of wine. So Father, I bless this house, each and every one, in Jesus' precious name. And Father, one other thing, go Raptors, go. Amen. Go Raptors, go.